Good morning. Our scripture reading for this morning is Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can be seated. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, as we study your word, God, give us minds to understand, hearts to love, and hands to go do. But may we know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all. For your glory and our good, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let me begin with this question. What is faith? What is faith? We hear things in stupid movies like Cinderella. Have faith in dreams and someday your rainbow will come smiling through. I don't know what rainbow they were talking about, but... In the movie El Dorado, he says this. This is, I like this a little bit better, but... Faith can move mountains, but it can't beat a faster draw. We hear things like, just keep the faith. Or, you just got to have faith. Or, faith will get you through this. But faith in what? What is faith? Is it a feeling? Is it a sentiment? Is it a grasping? Is faith a conviction? Is faith a possession? Is faith sim- simply mental agreement? Is it surrender? Is it a prayer? Is it action? Or how about this? Is faith reasonable or unreasonable? But depending on what tradition or denomination you might have grown up, is faith just a means to make something yours? Like name it, claim it? If you just have enough faith, you can have that healing or you can make that item yours. You can get that private jet. How's that working for some of you? Does it have to make sense? Or what about all those people who just can't have faith? They say, I just don't have faith. What about them? Is God the one that gives faith, or is it something we muster ourselves? What is faith? As we come into Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11 is single-handedly the most helpful chapter on the topic of faith in the entire Scriptures. It will define it for us, And it will describe for us how it works and what it does. It will give us examples of that. Not just the concept of faith, but it will describe for us what it looks like in the wild, if you will. Sometimes literally in the wild, as we talk about the examples of Moses. 
and Abraham. And the ultimate goal for us, as we'll see explicitly named in Hebrews, but implicitly said here in chapter 11, is that we would strive for and emulate the faith that is described and exemplified for us in Hebrews chapter 11. So with that said, the first thing I want you to to see and to write down if you're taking notes, that only through faith will we enter eternal life. Only through faith will we enter eternal life. So as we've been talking about Hebrews, or talking about in the book of Hebrews, we've been using this this concept of uh, only those who persevere to the end are those who are truly saved. So when we say that that, that those who will be saved are only those who persevere, we don't mean that those who persevere in doing all the right things will enter eternal life. That the, the doing all the right things is a byproduct. What we do mean, though, is that those who persevere in faith are those who will enter into eternal life. That's why we have to define faith so well. Listen, to most people, as long as I persevere in feeling good about Jesus, as they would define faith, or persevere in going to church, then I will enter eternal life. Those poor definitions of faith will not get them anywhere. Faith is the crux, is vital to entering into eternal life, to persevering to the end. In a sense, the author of Hebrews, if, you, if I could summarize it in Uh, in its totality thus far, has been showing us practically what faith looks like. Now we'll see it in specific examples of people in Hebrews 11 later, but we've been getting descriptions of what the outworkings of faith looks like. Now he's going to talk specifically about faith itself. He's going to define the term that he's been describing and that he's been using so far. And remember, the author's concern in the book of Hebrews is that his readers and us would persevere to the end, that they would not revert back, that they would not lose their salvation, if you will, that they would not turn to their other gods. That's what he's aimed at, that they would persevere. Now, we're going to get to a, a, a Uh, uh, a fuller um, definition, but for the moment, the way I would simply describe faith is that it is the conduit through which we receive all that Christ is for us. It's the conduit. If you want to know what a conduit is, you can just look on the wall to the side of the building. There's a metal piping there that's called conduit. It's a metal pipe. That's not an empty pipe. There are wires inside of that through which the electricity flows. Faith is like that pipe. It's a conduit through which we receive all that Christ is for us. Someone else said this, faith is the channel 
by which we receive all the benefits of Christ's saving work. I don't think he means TV channel, by the way. He means like a river channel, a channel through which water flows, or other examples like that. Another person said this, faith is the cup into which God pours his saving grace. Overflows his saving grace even, I would add. There is no other way to enter into God's presence and enjoy Him for all eternity apart from faith. Apart from faith in this season of life until we see Him face to face when faith gives way to sight. As as Rusty quoted earlier, you don't hope for something that is seen. You hope for something that is unseen. Faith is in something that is unseen. So when we see Him face to face, faith will be no more because sight will be the new, the norm. So it's absolutely important. There's no other way to enter God's presence apart from faith this side of eternity. Hebrews 10, 36 through 39. For you have need of endurance so that when, or perseverance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet... A little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. And listen to verse 38. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So just even in the immediate context here of Hebrews chapter 11, if he shrinks back in faith, my soul has no pleasure in him. John Owen said this, he said, it is faith alone which, from the beginning of the world, in all ages, under all dispensations of divine grace, hath been the only principle in the church of living unto God, of obtaining the promises, of inheriting life eternal, and doth continue so to be unto the consummation of all things. Spiritual life is by faith and victory and perseverance, and salvation, so they were from the beginning. Faith is that crucial and vital. So a quick question of application here at the very beginning. Is faith that important to you? Do you consider faith with the kind of weight that it should be considered with? How often do you give thoughts to your faith, to the strength of your faith, to making sure your faith is defined well, or that faith is defined well, and that it's placed upon the right things, that it is a conduit through which the right things are flowing? Do you make decisions throughout your day and life that put your faith at risk? Relationship choices, reading choices, job choices, movie choices, church choices, discipline choices. Do you make decisions realizing that you're putting your risk at faith? Do you consider what those choices are doing to your faith? A great example of this would be the idea of like searing your conscience. 
So whenever you choose to do something that is morally wrong, and you know it's wrong, you're searing your conscience. Meaning like you're putting a hard, crusty edge on it. If you don't know what a good steak tastes like, it'll be seared on the outside, or a good tuna uh, steak as well. It's got a hard, crusty edge. You don't want that to happen to your conscience, okay? It's good for your steak, not for your conscience. If your conscience is seared, your faith is being seared. Your ability to have faith is being seared. It's easy as the people of God, and my fear for many of us, that we care more about doing church things, righteous things, than we do about the faith that should be motivating all of those righteous things. The only things that will glorify God are the things done in faith. And that's what we're going to flesh out, not just today, but as we go. The only things that would be seen as righteous in God's eyes are the things done by faith. And I hope by the time we get done today, you at least have an idea of what it means to do things by faith. So hopefully you'll pick up on that today and I'll be clear. So now let's get to a definition of faith. A definition of faith. Hebrews 11 verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So I would say, okay, great. But what in the world does that mean? What does he mean? There, there's, I mean, I, I'm not going to spend all today on that verse, but almost all of today on that verse. That, that verse right there, what does he mean? I, don't, I think this, for many people, this is your go-to definition for faith. Which I would say is good, but not good enough. There's more rob, a more robust definition and understanding than just a brief reading of that verse right there. One preacher, last name's Phillips, said this. He talks about the idea of the environment of faith. Where things, this environment of faith, is where things are hoped for, but not yet possessed or manifested. So it's kind of like what Pastor Russ said earlier, like what, you don't hope for something that's already in your possession. That doesn't make any sense. Those two things don't go together. You might hope to do something with it that is yet unseen, but you don't hope to have that thing because it's yours. It's in your possession. Faith doesn't deal with the present, and it doesn't deal with the past. Faith deals with the future, okay? Faith deals with what you hope for in the future. That's what I mean by the environment for faith is future-oriented. Now, I know that could be confusing when you think, well, I got faith in the cross, that the faith that, that the gospel happened. 
But, it, but faith is more oriented towards the effects of the past work of the cross. That it will redeem me such that I would walk into God's presence. So that's a past event that secures something for the future. Faith is oriented in what you hope that past event will do in the future. Going forward, tomorrow, when Jesus comes, when you die, and so on. Romans 8, 24 through 25 says this, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Philip said this, Faith is about things that are promised by God but are so far unfulfilled in our actual experience. I mean, in our moment in time, have not been actually experienced yet. Now, if we're going to define, define faith, what I think we need to look at, particularly in this verse, this verse is now faith is in the assurance so I think the things hoped for there in verse 1, there's, there's lots of things hoped for, certainly eternal salvation that, as its pinnacle. But what is it? So if faith is on this side, faith is the blank as it concerns these future things. So that blank, that word assurance, we're going to spend time, most of our time, thinking about what is that word assurance there. Faith is the assurance. So let's define Assurance. Everyone I read said you should define assurance. Now, faith is the assurance. Now, this word has different nuances to its meaning. Different, if you, if you have a diamond, uh, you notice diamonds have different uh, facets, right? Different parts to that diamond. And the more cuts there are on it, and the better those cuts are, the more beautiful and brilliant the diamond is. The word assurance is like that. It has different facets, and we're not just, for the record, looking up a word in the dictionary and go, what's definition one, two, three, four, and those are all the definitions. That's not what we're doing here. But this word has a richness to it, a robustness to it that will help us define faith. So what does the Greek word for assurance mean? Assurance, substance, being sure full confidence. So I have four words here, four aspects or facets that if you're taking notes, the first one is this substance. Substance. So faith is the substance of things hoped for. What is substance? What do we mean by substance? The physical matter of a person or thing. The substance of it. A, an example would be this. Abraham was a pilgrim in the promised land. But as he was there, who owned the promised land? The Canaanites did. They owned and ruled the land during Abram, Abraham's journey. But he was promised the promised land. The substance is the promised land. Well, he possessed that substance by faith. 
It was his. Though he had not experienced it being his yet, the land was his by faith because he believed God with such assurance that it was his. So what you have is the the physical promise that was not yet realized. And as we know through Israelite history that it eventually is realized. Yet in Abraham's soul, his faith was such that it was as good as his. This is that even though the Canaanites are here, I know that God's promise is so sure, it's as if this substance is already mine. You see, faith, someone said, puts a firm grasp on that which is promised, just as if the thing itself was already a reality. As if the thing is already in your hand. Now don't miss the nuance here. Philip said this, it makes real to us and gives us possession of things that are hoped for but are not yet part of our experience. By faith, the thing which we have faith in is ours. The substance of the very thing is ours. So substance. Next, foundation. foundation. The word assurance itself has within its prefix and the word the idea of under and the word for standing. The word literally is something that stands under something else as a foundation to a building. You see, the foundation of a building is the assurance of the stability and the continued reality of that building. Without a sure foundation, the building will not exist for long. St. Augustine said this, Faith is the beginning which contains the certainty of the end. Faith is the beginning which contains the certainty of the end. It's that foundation. A.W. Pink said this, faith provides a firm standing ground while I await the fulfillment of God's promises. There's a firm standing ground. So it's both the substance and it's this firm standing ground. Think about this in the realm of salvation. I get to stand on the foundation, which is the promise of forgiveness and righteousness and the presence of God, even though I don't see it right now. Faith provides the actual place that I stand. So in the moments where where sin has crept into your life, and you have to choose, am I going to engage in this sin, or am I going to repent of this sin? Faith provides the foundation that you believe that through God's promise, we have been redeemed and we will be forgiven. 
And if you can stand on that foundation, then repentance comes real easy. Think about it in the realm of parenting. The promise is that in general, faithful, godly, lawful, and Christ-exalting parenting, the promise is that in general, that will lead to the redemption of our kids. Lead them in general to faith that would redeem. That provides the only foundation for faithfully parenting your kids. Pink said this, faith provides my heart with a sure support during the interval, during the time in between. It provides the steady ground for me to step on while I await. Pink said this as well, faith believes God and relies upon his veracity. As it does so, the heart is anchored and remains steady no matter how fierce the storm nor how protracted the season of waiting. Faith is a foundation. Third, faith is a confidence or assurance. Confidence or assurance. Pink again. It says, faith is far more than a bare assent to anything revealed and declared by God. Instead, it is a firm persuasion of that which is hoped for. And I think, end quote, I think if there is any place that some of us are going to struggle, it is right here. For many of us, we have a mental assent to what God has said or what God has promised, but not faith in what God has said or God has promised. We mentally agree with it, but we are not so firmly persuaded by it that we have a confidence in it. And, li- and listen, let me, let me press in here a little bit further. If you don't have a faith that works itself out in righteousness, repentance, and such, then your faith is just a mental assent or a mental agreement with the gospel. I believe Jesus was there. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he he paid for my sin. But if you were persuaded by it, if you were assured by it, if you had confidence in it, That's true faith that will look like righteousness and repentance. So so don't don't just think, okay, well, I've said I believe. It it has to work itself. James says faith without works is what? Dead. But a belief that has such assurance and confidence that it works itself out in righteousness and repentance, that belief is true faith. 
It's not just a bare ascent. Now this right here is how many translations render the translation in the book of Hebrews here as assurance. Faith is a assurance or a confidence of things hoped for, but not yet seen. Hebrews 3 verse 14, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. It's original confidence, meaning their assurance of what Jesus has said. If we hold that firm to the end, that's the perseverance. That's why I said at the beginning, when we're talking about persevering to the end, it's not first and foremost perseverance in doing all the right things. It's perseverance in faith, holding firm our original confidence to the end. Philip said this, by faith, we live as if things were other than they appear because of what God has said. That's a stark contrast for us Christians with the pagan world around us. We live as if things were other than they appear. That's what this confidence would look like in the flesh if you were living it out. You look at your life. Here's an example. Look at your life. It's riddled with sin, each one of us. And you know that God is holy and that you and I are unrighteous. Right? That's how they appear. But by faith, you live as though things are different than that. What do I mean? You live as though you are a righteous child of God who has been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's not how things appear, right? Hopefully you see that. Hopefully you know your struggle with sin is still alive and real. That's how it appears. But you live as though you know and are assured that it is different, that you stand before God as holy and righteous, not because of your doing, but because of Christ's blood, because of his doing, because of his righteous life. You live as though things were different than they appear. Phillips again, faith then is our attitude toward our circumstances, particularly toward uncertainty and want. Faith is our attitude toward our circumstances. You show me someone who is always complaining about their circumstances, someone who is in the pattern of discontentment and grumbling, and I'll show you someone with little or no faith. Because someone with faith has confidence beyond what they see in their circumstances. Next, number four. Faith is a guarantee. It's a guarantee. Someone said this, it's, faith is like a title deed to things we do not possess but hope for in the, in the Lord. If you own a house or you've owned a car 
or other motorized vehicles, you get a title for that. Even if the vehicle may not be in your possession, I'm thinking here of Benamati as they moved to uh, Albuquerque. They bought the house before physically possessing the house. They had the title and the deed. Paper signed, it's theirs. Though they were not physically in it, possessing it, taking up space in it, staking their flag on it, though it was theirs. Faith is like a title deed to our inheritance. Philip says this, faith is our guarantee, listen to this, that provides a foretaste of the spiritual blessings that ultimately we will know in full. It's a foretaste of the spiritual blessings Ephesians, for example, talks about that we will know in full someday. See what I mean by faith is a conduit through which a foundation flows. It's a conduit that gives us, that has confidence, grabs a hold. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. A confident attitude toward those things God has promised. Faith is a guarantee that gives us a sure possession even now. Faith is the substance. Here's what I'm saying. Like faith actually puts it in your hands. Faith actually sits beneath your feet. Faith actually touches your tongue and gives you a taste. Famous commentator Matthew Henry said this, Faith is a firm persuasion and expectation that God will perform all that he has promised to us in Christ. And this persuasion is so strong that it gives the soul a kind of possession and present fruition of those things. Gives them a substance in the soul by the first fruits and foretastes of them. So that believers in the exercise of faith are filled with joy unspeakable and full of glory what faith does. Next, faith lays hold of that which your senses cannot behold. Faith lays hold of that which your senses cannot behold. Your tongue cannot taste, but faith gives it the ability Philip says this, it makes real to us things that are otherwise unreal to our experience. It presents to our hearts things that cannot be seen with our eyes. That's why idolatry is so dangerous, church. That's why I think it's it's Psalm 116, it's right in there in the one teens, where he says that we become like the idols that we worship, having eyes but cannot see, ears but cannot hear, mouths but cannot speak. When, when that happens, faith is dead. It's like true saving faith, because your faith is in that idol. And your senses are all wrapped up in that idol. But faith in the Lord gives us the ability to, to, to experience, to know 
to stand on that which our senses cannot behold. What you cannot feel with your hands, you can still hold with faith. Faith takes what God says about us, and even though you cannot see it, faith makes it real. John Calvin says this, The Spirit of God shows us hidden things, the knowledge of which cannot reach our senses. He goes on, We are told of the resurrection of the blessed, but meantime we are involved in corruption. We are declared to be just, and sin dwells within us. We hear that we are blessed, but meantime we are overwhelmed by untold miseries. We are promised an abundance of good things, but we are often hungry and thirsty. God proclaims that he will come to us immediately, but seems to be deaf to our cries. What would happen to us if we did not rely on our hope? And if our minds did not emerge above the world, out of the mist of darkness, through the shining word of God and by his spirit. Faith is therefore rightly called the substance of things which are still the objects of hope and the evidence of things not seen. Let me repeat that from Calvin. Faith is therefore rightly called the substance of things which are still objects of hope and the evidence of things not seen. See, faith is important in this way because if you could see it yourself, then your trust would be in your own senses. It would not be faith anymore. Yet because you and I cannot sense any of this with our human faculties, we must tell our heart and mind, believe it to be true. And in that act, our trust says, he alone is trustworthy. Faith says he alone is the source of our salvation. He alone, all good things come from. Pink says this, crediting the sure testimony of God, resting on His promises, and expecting the accomplishment of them. Faith gives the object hoped for at a future period a present reality and power in the soul as if already possessed. For the believer is satisfied with the security afforded and acts under the full persuasion that God will not fail of his engagement. That's such a powerful quote. So assured as if it's already possessed. And because of that, we're so satisfied with the security that it affords. So I mean, think about that in the terms of repentance. If by faith I believe with such great and immense assurance that pardon is mine because Jesus paid the price, then repentance just falls like a domino. It just happens. 
We don't have to self-justify. We don't have to dance around it. We don't have to make excuses. But the weaker your assurance of pardon, then the, the more runarounds you're going to try to do with repentance. The more avoidance. But the power that comes and the security and the satisfaction afforded to us are immense. Next, faith always results in action. Faith always results in action. Verse 2, Hebrews 11, for by it the people of old received their commendation. For by it the people of old received their commendation. Think about Noah. Noah and the flood and his building and his, his faithfulness and his obedience was based on nothing other than God's words. Nothing. Rain from the sky? What's that? Huh. Then we'll build a boat, right? Just God's words. That was all Noah needed. My question to you, is God's words all you need? If he said it, is that enough? Or do you have to have some sort of proof? Or do you have to have some sort of warm fuzzy after reading those words? Or is it enough? Faith in those words always leads to action. Without action, there is no true faith. They go together. They just have a logical order. Faith precedes good works. But faith is an action. We talked about this a little bit already. Philip says this, Faith is confidence in those things that are not present to us, but are promised in the word of God. So if we believe, we are acting upon things that are not yet manifest, but which we accept as true. Right? So when we act based on what God has said, even though we haven't seen it to be true, we're doing those acts unto faith. Doing those acts by faith. I said at the beginning that faith is the necessary component for perseverance and that action is the byproduct. It's the second step. That's true. If you believe, for example, God's promises in parenting, then you will act on it. So when you, for example, when you go to Spank, you should have in the back of your mind what God has said about discipline, about that discipline is, all discipline is painful for the moment. That, that discipline is what comes so that we gain, a, or what we use so that we gain a hearing so that we can instruct our kids of the things of God. When you give discipline for sin with your children, you're showing them that there is God's wrath coming for all of our sin. And that payment has to be made, either by you for all of eternity or by the blood of Christ. So when you're disciplining your kids, that faith should be at work in that moment. If the faith in what God has said is not at work in that moment, then it's just abuse. It's just revenge. It's just you being irritated. 
It's just you being annoyed. But faith, again, is an action. They had faith that translated into action. Watchman Nee said this, Faith is always meeting a mountain, a mountain of evidence that seems to contradict God's word, a mountain of apparent contradiction in the realm of tangible fact. And either faith or the mountain has to go. They cannot both stand. Either faith or the mountain has to go. So my question to you and to me is, what is it that you need in order to act? And does that mean that you are still acting by faith? Let me put it a different way. What is it you need in addition to faith in order to act? And is it any longer than acting in faith? So, for example, in parenting, do you need to see results in your children to keep disciplining them, as God said? Is that what you need? Do you need that? Then is it faith any longer? Do you need to see a growing savings account before you tithe and give generously? What is it you demand of God in order to then act? And then my question is, then is it actually living by faith? But what we see in this passage is that those who put their faith in God and his word, and not in this world and any evidence that it presents, are those whom God receives. Look at verse 2. For it is... For by it, the people of old received their commendation. And those are the people that we're going to talk more about as we go in Hebrews chapter 11. Philip says this, What we are to note in each and every case is that the one thing that brought people God's commendation was their faith, not their gifts, not their attainments, not their beauty, strength, or popularity. These are the things that bring people the commendation of the world. But what brought them the commendation of God was faith. It was their faith. Listen, when the circumstances seemed counter to what God had promised, they still acted on faith. They trusted the Lord. And it was this faith that was commended. It was their faith that was a conduit through which God saved them. And it is those with faith that God receives. No one else. And then let me say this before we move on to the next point. If you don't have faith in the easy things, like parenting, money, marriages, relationships, then you won't have faith in the hardest thing of all. Faith in what God has said concerning your sinfulness and his mercy shown to us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Next, faith is rooted in God's word. Faith 
is rooted in God's word. Look at verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Here's what he's saying. You can only understand creation by faith. We don't have this hard evidence that God created the universe. I know intelligent design, and I think that's a good argument, and so on and so forth. But verse 3 says that we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, by taking God at his word. We do so by faith. His point here is that without faith in the creator and his creation of the universe, you can have no saving faith at all. Why? Because to have saving faith, you have to believe his word. That's his whole point. Because to have saving faith, you have to take him at his word. You have to believe his yes means yes and his no means no. And all of his yeses mean yes and all of his no's mean no. And if you have saving faith because you believe his word, then you believe all that it says, which includes the universe was created by the word of God. One person pointed this out as a helpful implication. If God's words were powerful enough to create the universe... then don't you think God's words would be capable of giving you all that you need, including salvation? If you can't believe that his words created the world, then you won't believe that he could give you all that you truly need. Period. This faith, it's different than the world's. Listen, faith is not blind trust, wishful thinking, or a positive attitude. Just got to, quote, keep the faith, or just, quote, have faith. Instead, our faith feeds upon the Word of God. Like That's what it's rooted in. Our faith feeds upon the Word of God. Listen, some of us in this room have weak faith because we keep feeding our souls junk food like the chosen, online personalities, podcasters, worldly mental experts and gurus, TED Talks, and so on. Our faith seized by the light of God's sure revelation. Only. His word. His sure revelation. That is the light unto our path, a lamp or lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. His word. Spurgeon said this, reason is all very well, but faith mounts upon the shoulders of reason and sees much farther than reason with her best telescope will ever be able to see. It is enough for us who have faith that God has told us how he made the world, and we believe it. Faith stands upon the shoulders and sees further. 
Lastly, practical implications of faith. Let me give you three practical implications of faith. Phillips had similar three implications. The three implications of faith. Faith is how we experience God's kingdom. Faith is how we right now experience God's kingdom. Remember, God's kingdom is being realized, but much of it is unseen and future. But faith is what grabs a hold of the substance as though it is physically in your hands right now. I mean, think about what that, like, think about what that does in parenting. Think about what that does as you cultivate your corner of the earth. I think about it as I go out and check on my cows. For example, the joy of salvation. We have not yet heard, well done, good and faithful servant. None of us have heard that yet. We've not seen his face, but by faith we believe that our sins have been washed from us and that we have been brought near to God, and that brings overwhelming and controlling joy. And the measure of that, of our faith, will directly impact the measure of that joy, that experiencing of God's kingdom now. Number two, faith is the stability through rocky circumstances. Faith is the stability through rocky circumstances. Someone said this, faith is what grasps that which is unshakable. Faith is what grasps that which is unshakable. J.C. Ryle said this, he commends to us faith. Faith is the root of a real Christian's character. Let your root be right, and your fruit will soon abound. Your spiritual prosperity will always be according to your faith. He that believeth shall not only be saved, but shall never thirst, shall overcome, shall be established, shall walk firmly on the waters of this world, and shall do great works. By faith. By faith. Faith is the stability through rocky circumstances. Number three, faith makes us pleasing to God and useful to others in this life. Faith makes us pleasing to God and useful to others in this life. It's important where you have to connect the dots of it's a conduit through which God saves us, right? But without that faith, J.C. Ryle says this, in walking with God... A man will go just as far as he believes and no further. His life will always be proportioned to his faith. His peace, his patience, his courage, his zeal, his works, all will be done according to his faith. It will only be done in proportion to his faith. This is why those who have gone through the most 
tend to be the most useful for God's kingdom. They have greater faith. Why? The trials, the challenges, the difficulties, if they walk through it by faith with humility, those circumstances require them to say, it is faith or nothing. And by God's grace, if they choose faith, then their faith grows. And as faith has grown, so has their peace, their patience, their courage, their zeal, their boldness, their works. They become pleasing to God and useful to others in this life. In the church, some examples. Those who serve and impact the most... And I don't just mean those who click accept whenever planning center sends them a ding. What I mean is those who give most sacrificially, the ones who always sign up for the next thing, the ones who are most patient during church trials, the ones who fight the hardest against the enemy and his minions, the ones who consistently give and not take, the ones who are always finding a way and not grumbling, the ones who are most joyful and steady, those people who are most pleasing to God and useful to others, they have strong faith. Let me remind you of this. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the foundation upon which we are standing. Faith is confident, a confident attitude towards all that God has promised. Faith is a guarantee that gives us a sure possession even now. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this gift we call faith, that you call faith. Father, give us, give us the much-needed strength to exercise faith. And Father, please show us where our faith is in anything else but you. Father, make those places of our lives rocky and uncomfortable and even painful so that our faith would be purely, genuinely, fully, robustly, and always in nothing other than you. Help us to take you at your word. To believe your yes always means yes, and your no always means no. And to believe it such that it is already in our hands. Father, help us to parent this way. Help us to talk to our lost neighbors this way. Help us to stand against the onslaught of paganism around us. Father, help us to stand by faith against our own indwelling sin. Father, help us to live by faith when we speak to our spouses, when we talk to our coworkers, when we do work for our employers, when we build businesses for your kingdom. Help us to do it all by faith, believing in what you've said and sowing it unto the Spirit and faith. Father, for your glory, for our good and our neighbor's good, in Jesus' name, amen.